Father, thank you for this time together. And Lord, I pray for those who this morning may be struggling with the fact, is it well with my soul? God, I pray that this morning you would speak into their lives hope, living hope. Lord, for those who need to know you, need to know the living hope of your salvation. Lord, I pray that they would receive it this day. God, I pray that you would educate us through your word into understanding what it means to experience living hope, even in the midst of suffering. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to make impact in the world, both locally and globally. God, I I thank you, Lord, for the work that's being done in Haiti. Lord, for the the children who will be provided meals, even through the, the packing event that we'll do this week. God, for those who need hope, God, I pray, Lord, that we would answer that call even today and say, I will give my life, I will give my time, I will give them my resources so that others might experience the living hope that you have provided. And we might be able to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. We thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. You have the Bibles. We'll be in the book of First Peter again. First Peter chapter 1. Last week we talked about the living hope that has been provided to us. And it's salvation. Salvation is the living hope that has been given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We talked about how when we receive that salvation, when we receive that living hope, that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Sins are forgiven and they're wiped away. We no longer are under the curse, under the cost of the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We've been freed from that penalty. And we currently are being freed from the power of the sin of the world. And eventually we'll be freed from the presence of sin in this world. I hope that makes sense to you because for us to really bring God glory, which is our chief purpose, we must understand that. And I know a lot of people misunderstand the principle of salvation. They misunderstand what that means and how that occurs. And let me just remind you, I had several questions last week. There are a lot of misconceptions. And matter of fact, when a lot of times when people talk about uh, salvation or what, what it means to be a Christian, they'll go to one of these three principles, so to speak, or really one of these three thoughts, one of these three philosophies. The first one is behavioral. A lot of people I'll hear say this, you know, I've decided to turn my life around. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start being good. I'm going to quit drinking, smoking dope, whatever it is I'm doing. And I'm going to start being, I'm going to start being a good person. And a lot of people equate that with Christianity, that that's the salvation, that that's the gospel. Why that may lead you to the gospel, that's not the gospel that you become a better person, that you start acting right. I hope you do, but that's not the gospel. That's not salvation. The second philosophy is this. It's the intellectual. You've heard people say this. That's right. I believe the Bible's true. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm good. I got it right here. I believe all those things are true. The problem with that is the Bible tells us in James chapter 2 that the demons believe and they shudder at the sound of his name. I mean, they, they believe those same things that 
Maybe you believe intellectually that you've come to that place and you go, I, I believe all that's true. I've heard people say that all the time. Have you ever, if they've experienced the living hope, and they go, yeah, I, I believe all that stuff is true. Well, you know, I, I believed in the, I believed that Hitler existed and the Nazi regime was around. That didn't make me a Nazi just because I believed those things were true and they happened. Number three, the mystical approach. You know, I had an emotional experience one time. I was at church one time and I cried. So I, I know that must have been God. That must have been Jesus. And so I'm, I think I got, I think maybe that was salvation for me. I was talking to a, a woman in a neighborhood not too far from me one time and we were kind of talking about her spiritual journey and she said, yeah, I'll tell you when it happened for me. One day I walked home, you know, and we didn't go to church or anything. I, I did when I was a little kid, but we, I came home and I smelled a certain smell that I remember when I went to church as a kid, and I knew that was God. Yeah, that was my time. It was when I smelled that, and I just knew, that's God, and we're okay. And I'm just going, really? Um, maybe you ought to check some stuff in your garbage. I mean, what, what's, so many times we get into this mysticism mindset, and can I tell you that just about every religion affirms mystic experiences? They have emotional experiences. Did you know a lot of Muslims can stand up and tell you about a time that they had an emotional experience? Can I tell you that a lot of Buddhists and Hindu people who practice Hinduism, cults, a lot of cults, they say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe in God. As a matter of fact, and, and here's some behavior you need to do, and, and they'll, they'll try to create a, an emotional moment for you. But you see, none of those things are the gospel. These things can help point us to the gospel. But what is the gospel? What is salvation? How does that happen? It's really very simple. First of all, I do have to believe in what God has already done for me. I mean, it's a fact that God came to this earth as a perfect specimen of a human being. He came without sin God in the flesh, he took on flesh and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he lived so perfectly that he was willing to die upon a cross for us. Because the Bible said there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So he shed his blood. He was crucified on a cross. But it didn't end there. After the cross, he was placed in a grave and on the third day he rose again, conquering sin and death, paying the penalty, covering our sin and conquering death. It's a fact. It's a report. It's not up for debate. It's a fact. And that's what he's done for us. And I must believe that. Okay? Number two, I must believe that he has the power to forgive me and the power to save. Number two, I must recognize my need for that. I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to have enough emotional experiences that it's going to take over somehow. I'm not going to be able to learn enough verses. I need to come to the place to where I recognize I need it. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to be good enough. I need God to save me. And I believe that he has the power and the ability. I believe that he has already done the work. And then thirdly, I receive it. So I, I believe the facts. I believe in his power. I recognize my need for it. And I say, God, I receive it by grace. If we don't understand that word grace, then we don't understand salvation at all. If grace isn't a part of your testimony, 
And what I mean by that, if you don't recognize that you've been given something that you couldn't have done for yourself, it was a gift that you were in opposition to God and he offered you his very best. Here's the picture. You're in the Pacific Ocean, 300 miles off the coast of California. You're in the ocean and your boat capsizes and, and you're out there. And all you've got is this measly piece of wood and you know it's not going to last. And you can think in your mind, you know what? I'm, I'm a good person. I'm just going to start swimming. And I'm sure because I'm so good, something good will happen to me. And you can start swimming and you can start talking about all the good things that you will do and all the th- good things you've done. And at some point, you're not going to make it 300 miles. You might be a great swimmer and go three miles, but your behavior won't get you there. You might intellectually think, you know what, I know exactly where I am. I know where the sun is. I think I've got it down. And I know if I just use the proper technique in swimming, I will float on my back a while. I will use every opportunity at my intellectual uh, capacity to try to get there. I'll do every stroke. I'll trade off. You're not going to make it. You can even emotionally think, you know, I think I saw a vision. The sun can become me. And you can have an emotional experience and you can get all fired up and go, yeah, I can do this. And you're not going to make it. What do you need? You need someone from the outside who has the power to come in and save. You need someone from the outside who possesses the ability to come into your world, into your sphere right there in that part of the ocean and throw out a life preserver. And you have to recognize that that's what you need. And then you grab a hold of it and they pull you in. And you haven't earned it or deserved it, but you recognize there's somebody on the outside that's going to have to come into my world. And when they come into my world, they're going to have to give me that opportunity and I'm going to have to receive it. That's the picture right there of salvation. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so that's the first question I have for you today. And as we see that word salvation, have you come to that place where you believe it as a fact? You see, Jesus could have been just a good person and those other things happen. I could be good. I can have an intellectual ascent. I can have a mystical exposure. And he could have been just a good person. But see, he's more than that. He was God in the flesh. And he is the salvation method. He is the salvation way. So he is absolutely necessary. Now, with that understanding, let's look at this text. Because now our chief purpose, first of all, is to receive Christ and his salvation. That brings God glory. But now we live our lives to bring glory. Let's start back in verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us the new birth. We just talked about that. The new birth, the salvation, a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how we receive it. And into an inheritance, okay? Now He's going to tell us right here that we are kept for glory. We've been saved for His glory, okay? We've experienced salvation. Now this... These verses right here, these next two verses, tell us that we have been kept for His glory. All the things that we experience, all the pain, all the suffering, all the persecution, are being kept and will be redeemed for His glory. The Bible tells us we've been kept into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being kept those things and those experiences that you've had that you wonder, why, God? I've been faithful. I've been trying to trust you. I, I can look around here and I can see uh, several people in this room who have lost a child or a spouse. There are at least three women in here who have gone through miscarriages. And the pain has been immense. Can I tell you, if my only hope is this is the end of the world, then there is no hope. But if I have a living hope, the Bible tells me, Peter tells me right here, that God will take those times of suffering and He will redeem them. That they are being kept from me in eternity. I believe in a God who has that kind of power, who does not waste pain and suffering. They're part of the inheritance. And not only that, I'm being prepared. I'm being prepared for His glory. In this, and actually that's what in the Greek we call a henna clause, a purpose statement. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and what glory in honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Being prepared for glory. Now, what is glory anyway? What is glory? Well, it's something of great value. It's something of great weight, of great worth. So in order for us to bring God glory, we must add to his reputation. And when I diminish his reputation, I diminish his glory. So we are created to bring him glory. And I think this text shows us some ways that we can do that. One of those ways is through suffering. Suffering can, as we talked about a while ago, can be redeemed for God's glory. But sometimes we suffer right now and experience suffering. And First Peter tells us, you don't need to be surprised by that. That's going to happen. That's going to be part of life. It's going to be part of your life. It's going to be part of your life as a Christian. It, it's going to happen. But let me tell you, you've got a living hope. You see, if you're in an, if you're in an Eastern religion... You look at suffering as, you know, it's really an illusion. It's not really there. It's not really happening. You just perceive that it's happening. And so they kind of handle it that way. In our Western culture, we say suffering, that's the greatest curse. Whatever you need to do to avoid it, get away from it. Go away from it. Why on earth would you want to go to Haiti and see that stuff? Why would you want to go to experience? Whatever you do, turn the TV off. Close your ears. Don't look at the pictures. Don't attend packing events. Whatever it is, just stay away from that because we want to avoid all pain and suffering. The problem is, is it's going to come anyway. And for the Christian, we don't try to run away from it. We try to glean. We, we try to get through it. And, and, and what I'm not suggesting is that it just makes it a whole lot easier. And if I'm a Christian, I ought to just, you know, be cool when suffering comes. That's what it really looks like. You know, I, I'm thankful for Job's example because it really frees me up. I mean, Job chapter 1, verse 20, 
the desert, you know, the, the wind comes in, the howling wind comes in from the desert, and it blows his house down, and a servant comes and says, all your children have died. And what does Job do? I think it's interesting what Job does at that moment. The Bible says this. He tears his clothes. He probably screams as he tears his clothes, which was, was a traditional uh, method of suffering to show great anguish. He tears his clothes. He shaves his head. And he falls to the ground. The problem is, some of us have grown up in churches where we think that that would go, oh, you know, I know that was bad. I know they lost their childish spouse, but boy, that's, that was not a good testimony there, was it? Hey, you know what? I would scream and tear my clothes if I lost my child. And I would probably want to shave my head if I thought it would do any good. And I promise you, I would fall to the ground. You know what the Bible says at the end of that chapter? And in all this, Job sinned not. So maybe part of the problem is we get so hyper-spiritual, and I mean that not in a spiritual way, we get so hyper-plastic that we think, you know, you really love the Lord. I expect you, Pastor, to act a lot better than that. Maybe you should just pray. Maybe that's the real way. But you know what? First Peter said, these things are going to happen. And Job gives us the freedom to realize that, you know what, we may suffer. And, and you know, and I love the part after that, and, and Job then worshipped. He expressed his grief. He expressed his anguish. He let it fly. But yet he held to his belief in Christ. He probably yelled, why? Can I tell you, God can handle that in our suffering moments. It's a reality. And God understands that. Suffering points us to focus on what's most important. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, the truth of it is, you've heard hundreds of stories that go like this. There was a man one time who was speaking to an angel of the Lord. And the angel said, what can I do? And he said, well, I just want to know happiness. And I don't really know happiness here on the earth. So that night the angel took his wife and his children and his job. And he was under great stress and immense pressure and depression. And a week later he came back and all had been restored. His wife and his children, his home, his job. And he came and he said, uh, now what can I do to bring you Happiness. He said, you've already done it. I just didn't recognize what I had. I just didn't recognize the joy that had already been given to me. There's a picture right there of what it means sometimes for us and what the need for suffering sometimes is in our lives to bring back into focus what's really important. To bring back into focus what God really thinks is honoring to Him. For bring back into focus what we really need to focus on instead of the junk. Suffering with the right heart glorifies God, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2.20. When we suffer with the right kind of heart, with the right spirit, with the right attitude, as Job did. Though we cry, though we weep, though we scream, when it's all said and done, we say, God, I, I trust you. 
Though I do not understand, though I cannot see, though I cannot imagine what you're doing. Suffering is a powerful witness. When people see us suffer, though we may cry, though we may scream, and we remain faithful to the God that we are committed to. As a witness, you know, it's one thing to say that I believe in Jesus. It's another thing to believe in him when our world caves in. It's another thing to trust him when our life falls apart. And then suffering also does this. It makes us like Jesus. It makes us like Jesus. In this, you have greatly to rejoice. Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that your faith may be of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. As we are refined, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Experiencing the glory of God. How do I experience the glory of God today? What about that inexpressible joy? What is he talking about? He's talking about suffering in one verse, and he's talking about inexpressible joy in the next verse. How does that happen? Can I tell you this? When we truly are followers of Christ, devoted to Christ, can I tell you, it transforms our hearts to the point that where, in a lot of ways, life is harder. I know that's not a popular message. That's not one you'll get to hear on TV. Things are heavier. Now when I see children who are starving, it should stir my heart. It should make me heavier. When I have a friend or a loved one, or a friend in the body of the Christ who is suffering, it, it's harder. It makes my heart heavy. You know why? It's because I'm having the heart of Jesus. I'm becoming like Jesus. And as he transfers his heart, his heart breaks. And the closer I come to him, the more my heart will break. But the things that break his heart. But most of us, when we come to him, and some of us, even after we come in, our hearts hardened. And we harden it up. And we see those things, we turn away. And I don't want to think about it. And I'm man enough. I'm tough enough. I'm not going to let that bother me. But that's not a picture of the heart of Christ. On the other side, we experience greater joy. Because people who don't know Christ can't understand what it looks like for someone to come to Christ and to see their life transformed. When they hear somebody pray and say, Jesus, I give you my life. When they see someone being baptized, oh, that's, that's cute. That's nice. But for the believer, we go, That's a life transformed. That's a life coming into living hope and bringing God glory. The purpose for which I exist. The kingdom. The glory of God. There's the picture that he's trying to help us to see. We can experience glory right here. Through worship. As we sing those songs of worship. We can experience the glory of God as we seek Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind through His Word. And as we call out to Him, we can experience the glory of God. When we begin to pray 
and ask God to see his kingdom come. And we begin to pray specifically and say, God, I want you to work in my friend's life. I want you to work in my neighbor's life. There's someone that you've placed on my heart and I'm going to share of your goodness. I'm going to share of your truth. I'm going to share of your glory. And we begin to see the Spirit of God working. Then there is a glory that we can experience on earth as we see God moving and working in people's lives. The question that I have for you today is, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? I pray for my family and my children. Who are you praying for that they would come to know Christ? They would come to know the living hope. Who is it that you daily pray for so that you might experience the glory of God, that they might experience the salvation of the Lord, they might experience living hope? That's the glory that all of us can participate in as we pray, as we share, as we give, as we help to make His kingdom come to earth so that He might be glorified. So here's the question for you. Have you come to that place today where you recognize, you know what, it's not about how I'm behaving. It's not about some intellectual set of rules that I believe are are factual happenings. It's not about some experience I had. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I recognize my need for it. And I've received it. And now my purpose, God, is to bring you glory. And I want to be about that process. For it's the purpose for which we are created. Can I tell you, there is another spirit. There's another power that's going to pull you this way. It's in stuff. If you got a nicer car. If you had a bigger house. If you got another toy, oh, then you'd really be happy. That's your purpose. And you're going to get it. And what you'll probably get is some debt. That's what you'll get. That'll stress you out. And yeah, you might have a good time in your car. And you might have a good time in your extra room. But can I tell you, it is not the purpose for which you were created. And you can keep getting those and buying those. And keep saying, I can't do other things because I'm trying to get more stuff. And you can keep wondering why. God, why don't you show me some glory? And there is a force in the world, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, that will pull you this way and say, this is purpose. Bring yourself glory. Bring yourself happiness. Get some more stuff. And God's saying six times, more than any other quote Jesus made in the Gospels, he who seeks to save his life, and get all the stuff that he can, he loses his purpose. He loses his life. But he who gives his life to me shall find it. He who loses his life, he who loses his stuff, he finds life. He finds his purpose. My glory. That's the word for us today. It's really pretty simple when it comes down to it. And you're going to give, you're given opportunities now and you'll be given more opportunities through this church, through his kingdom, to make impact, to bring him glory. The question is, what will you do? I would say start right now with saying, God, there's someone I'm praying for. And God, I want to ask you to start working their life and I will do what I can.
but I commit daily to see that happen. I'll close with this. The guy who shared a while ago, Kurt Andrews, and I've shared his story with you before. About a year ago, he sat out here and was not a believer. He's checking things out. And you know how he came to that place? He, he was coming seeking hope, seeking purpose. And he stood one day and some people just put their hand on him and prayed. And God was glorified. And today, he's been to Haiti. And you know what he wants to do now? He wants to spend his life going and helping people in Haiti, people like that. That's what he wants to give his life for. He was a guy who had done very well in the business sector, had owned several things, and was without purpose, without real hope. And God changed his life and changed his focus, gave him a purpose. And now he's glorifying the kingdom a year later. That's the transformation that Jesus makes. What are you doing to glorify God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. God, thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to understand the living hope that you've given. Lord, if there's one out there that has not received you, simply has believed a set of facts, simply has tried to be a good person, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that, Lord, you, in fact, did live and die. But on the third day, you rose again. And that, Lord, you want us to recognize our need for you. And then, Lord, receive by grace your salvation, your living hope. Lord, if there's one that needs to do that, Lord, I pray that they would do that now. That they would call unto the Lord. Believe that you have died. Believe you have the power over sin and death. Recognize their sin. Ask forgiveness. And receive your grace, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who know you and have become complacent to just do our thing, just build more, buy more, get more, make more, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that that's not the purpose for which we were created. It doesn't even do a good job at giving us any kind of lasting glory. and It will never be the, the fulfillment that we need to experience. God, I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts. You'd bring us to that place to where, Lord, we want to experience your glory and see your kingdom come more than our own kingdom. Lord, I, I pray that we'd begin to pray for those whom you've placed in our sphere of influence, who you've placed in our lives that you might present living hope, that you might use us as vessels to make impact on the world we live in. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise. In your name I pray. Amen.